Hey there, boys and girls. It's Ralph Garman, and you're listening to Talking Cod Swallop. Good choice. Hello, everybody. This is Ming Chen from AMC's Comic Book Man. You might know me from the Tell Him Steve Day podcast and the I Sell Comics podcast. Listen, I love podcasting. I love talking, but what I really love doing is talking cod swallow. Hey, I'm Alicia Witt. I'm Daniel Portman from Game of Thrones. I play Podrick Payne. I'm Ellipses, and you're listening to the talking... Okay, I'm Mark Bernard, and you're listening to the Talking Cod Swallow podcast. Hey, man, it's Kevin Smith, Silent Bob, whose voice you were never used to hearing in the 90s until I started opening it up, man. And that's because I'm a podcaster, and you're listening to a podcast, Talking Cod Swallow, right here, man. this week's talking codswallop i am Gemma. with me today i have got a fantastic cartoonist writer he's an editor he does all sorts of things and met him previously at london film and comic-con in 2019 i believe it was yes it was yeah when he used an invisible lasso and pulled me over <laughs> <laughs> over to his table. <laughs> so I'm really interested in hearing what uh, this guest has got to say about his career. So please welcome to the show, David Leach. Hello, Joe. Nice to meet you again. Yeah, nice to meet you again, too. <laughs> How have you been since, uh, well, since I last saw you? Well, I don't know. I don't know about you, but I spent most of 2020 uh, indoors. Yep, me too. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I, I had a funny, well, I say funny, back in 20, 2019, I consider it to be one of the best years of my life. I had an yeah. absolutely wonderful time. Um, I celebrated my 30th wedding anniversary. I went to um, Barbados for a family holiday. Um, I went to New York Comic Con and San Diego Comic Con. It was I'd never done those two before. It was just it was just wonderful. But then, sadly, at the end of uh, 2019, I had a terrible fall and destroyed my uh, my left knee. And uh, oh no! Yeah, I ruptured all four of my quad tendons, which is what keeps your kneecap in place. Oh! So all four of them burst simultaneously. And so I had to have a, a surgery to uh, reattach them. So I spent the first uh, 11 weeks of 2020 at home. I couldn't get anywhere. And I, I returned to work for one week just in time for the lockdown. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so the weird thing was, was that I, was, I actually, I was actually uh, prepared to be stuck at home. So it's not been that much of a problem for me, 2020. It was, uh, But very strange to go from what I consider to be the best year of my life to being as the rest of us have had to suffer 2020, which is, um, was a very strange year, wasn't it? A very, very strange year. And yeah, I know a lot of people are sort of thinking, oh, yay, 2021 and all that, but it's going to still be 2020 until all of this is over, really, isn't it? Yeah. So At least there's hope on the horizon. I mean, we've got the vaccines now. Yeah. And I think, I think that, that's great. I mean, like, uh, amazingly, uh, MCM have just announced that they're going to be running two conventions this year. I know. I just saw that email. Yeah. It's uh, Birmingham and London, I, I believe, know. isn't it? Very exciting. Yeah. So, um, because I, I tell you, I really miss conventions. I mean, yeah. I was doing about uh, 13, 14 a year. 
And uh, I have to say, I really miss doing them. I mean, yeah, I can agree with that definitely and understand it as well. Because from a personal point of view of visiting Comic Cons, that's one of the one of the big things that I've missed. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, it's yeah. missing people. I mean, you know, I met you at a convention. I mean, yep. uh, I really enjoy that whole thing of selling your wares. I mean, uh, when I'm there, I don't. I always just do my own work. I don't. I don't work for. Uh, you know, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not there on Titan business. I'm there doing my own stuff. So I love that interaction with uh, and selling my wares to people. I, I I get a real kick out of that. It's um, it's immensely satisfying and fun. Yeah. So yeah, I, I can definitely understand that as well because yeah, although I've got from the other side of it because obviously I'm there from a sort of promotional point of view as well because I'm as there as like press in some ways. Yeah. Of um, so I. Yeah, so I take, you know, I don't consider myself actually press, you know. <laughs> we don't report the bad stuff, we only report the good. Oh, well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like trying to get the, the podcast name out there and, and get people interviewed on there, which can be quite daunting. Especially, it's not so bad when it's like people on the stalls because, you know, majority of the time people want to talk about their projects, like obviously I experienced with yourself. Yeah. But, um, when it's cosplayers, you know, they're, they are quite normally quite nervous people or shy people, you know, and it's, it's quite hard and I'm quite shy as well. So it's hard to kind of, either I come across as bouncy and bubbly when I'm not sure about a situation, then I can be quite shy as well. So yeah. it's, yeah, it, it's one of those things. It's kind of like you're putting yourself out there, but really, you know, like trying to overcome any of your own demons as well i suppose isn't it so oh yeah i mean I, for me when i when i do a convention uh i i put on a persona anyway so i go into yeah. manic sales mode so i i don't really care <laughs> i mean my my attitude is i'm never going to see these these people again i'm just trying to sell my comics so uh what i want to do is entertain them make them laugh i, I always find that um because i got a whole sales patch i do for for one of my comics and i use it to sort of break the ice and everything and i usually yeah. find that if i can make someone laugh three times i'll buy a comic off me so yeah. I, I've got the same sales pattern, which I give to everybody when they come up. I, I show them through one of my comics and I, I've got gags that I do for, for that comic. And that usually that will get at least one laugh out of them. And then from there is it's, I know when I've, I've hooked them. So I go in there, I go in there with a, with a persona on. Um, so I don't really care what happens. I, I can just be as manic as I want. The people who are my friends who are there, they know me, so they know what's going on. But the rest of the time I'm just talking to punters. So my only mission is sell my wares and mm-hmm. um, I don't worry about I don't get nervous because um, <laughs> for me, life's just too short. I just want to I don't want to be nervous. I, I, I sort of it's like I, I've always thought because I'm a cartoonist that I just that, that, you, that your artwork is an extension of you or at least in my case, it's an extension of me. So my cartoons tend to be, as you've seen, they're, they're yeah. loud, they're they're um, they're manic and they're in your face. So I, I like to present that as my persona. Yeah. <laughs> I don't worry about what people think of me, you know, because it doesn't bother me, you know. No, and that's very, very good. Yeah, definitely. And you definitely came across that way when I met you first as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing my job then. I'm doing, I know you remembered me, so that's good. So I'm doing my job. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I remembered you. Yes, definitely. <laughs> um, and to be honest, unfortunately, I couldn't buy uh, buy a copy of your cut. Right. I know. I'm trying to interview off right now. I know. No, but I couldn't at the time because I was probably one of the only people that turned up to a Comic-Con really poor and could, didn't have any money with me. I remember, but, I remember um, you saying that to me. I do remember. Yeah. Yes. I well, definitely would have, though. 
Well, um, you can do it now. I can. I we can. I can put it in an envelope and send it to you. <laughs> oh, all right. I'll do that then. I will do that. <laughs> I'll email you later. Right. <laughs> no, but um, so we should get on to your comics. So obviously you've got one of them, which is Psycho Nan. Gran. Psycho Gran. Gran. God, I'm sorry. Chase woman. <laughs> Psycho Gran. Yes, I, do, I do two Psycho Gran comics. I do uh, Psycho Gran Versus, which is basically Psycho beating up various comic book and movie characters. Yeah. Variably uh, it means people being punched or kicked in the genitalia, which is genuinely, I find very funny. I, I never get yeah. bored of seeing, of drawing that. And then the other one I do, um, is called Psycho Grand uh, Comic Capers Cavalcade, <laughs> and what that is is I, I do um, I do a cartoon for David Lloyd. David Lloyd's got his own um, digital comic called Aces Weekly, okay. And uh, Psycho's been going in that since the first volume. So it's a uh, he brings out I think a volume every month, um, and I, I've been in there since the very first volume back in two thousand and. Um, I think it was 13, 12 or 13, I think I'd be doing it. And so what I do is once once it's been there, I then put it into comic form and then I, I sell them at uh, conventions. So I've done I've done three. Oh, that's the sad thing about 2020 was I was about to launch issue three of Psycho Grand Versus at, um, at Dublin Comic Con last year. And then it got cancelled a week to go. Oh. Uh, it's a great shame. So I've got a whole box of issue threes ready to go. So I've got three, three issues worth of Psycho Grand Versus and I've done two issues worth of comic capers cavalcade but i'm about i've got enough material for third issue of that one so that's that's two psychogram comics and then i do uh, my other comic which is my autobiographical comic so i i have always hated autobi- autobiographical comics i think they're dreadfully self-indulgent and uh, i don't yeah. think i don't think most cartoons have led a life nearly interesting enough to to warrant an autobiography that's just me that's just me i mean i'm sure there's some great ones out there uh, i i just i just am amused by them so i decided to do my own because i've led a genuinely very exciting life um so i i did i've done this comic called david leach conquers the universe um yeah and uh, i've actually that's the other thing was i i spent 2020 i actually drew the third issue of that i wrote and drew the third issue of that so i uh, i got furloughed for uh, for 11 weeks and decided i was going to spend the time drawing a comic so i did the third issue so that's going to coming out hopefully this year um, so yeah, those those are my three comics. I think I got out at the minute. Yeah, yeah, those three. So um, that's it. That's what I do. That's what I does. Yes, what you does. Yeah. <laughs> so with regards to how it all started, because I I love an origin story. So and I know obviously you've got your autobiography out there at the moment. Oh, but... yeah, it's all true. That, that's what I forgot. Thank you. Uh, that's what I was going to say. My, my autobiography is completely true because it's things like the time I, I defeated Godzilla. It's the time I went into outer space, fought an alien, and met my wife. And the third issue's. Um, what happens in the third? Oh no! But it's all it's all. And the other great thing is it's published by a company called All True Comics. Was it, it's, okay. it's co-published by All True Comics and Dead Universe Comics. Dead Universe is a, a comic shop in Ellsbury run by a, a fabulous man called Ian Hine, who he's got his own comic shop and he prints my comics for me, which is uh, great. But it's also published by All True Comics and their motto is we never lie. So every word in my comic is absolutely true because it's published by All True Comics and they never lie. So there we are. <laughs> that, that's what makes my autobiography exciting is that I've actually gone into outer space. I've actually fought an alien in outer space and I've defeated Godzilla. So, you know, that's yeah. what makes it exciting. It's not your run-of-the-mill, ooh, I'm a troubled cartoonist trying to find his way in the world. <laughs> so there we are. 
Anyway, you want my origin well, story? Yikes. Yeah, I was. It was sort of like what inspired you to sort of start drawing and you know write comics and what was your inspiration really? Well, um, um, you you can see uh, on the Skype call behind me that I'm sitting in my library. So in this yes. library which you can only see two walls of it. Obviously, it's a room, so there's two more rooms. Every every single square inch of this room is filled with comic books. I can see that, definitely. Uh, and I, I tell this story too often, but it's, this is absolutely true. If I was to reach up here, just above me, this shelf here that I'm sat next to, this is my shelf of pre-1980 British annuals. So I've got annuals that go from the B now, oh, sorry, Battle, because it's obviously alphabetized. It goes from Battle all the way down to um, Wizard and Chips. And then, so I could reach up here and I could pull down my Beano annual from 1975 when I was 11. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the three books that inspired me as a kid. Now, behind me on the wall there is a whole row of Giles annuals. I'm a huge fan of Giles, the cartoonist, an absolutely genius cartoonist. I've got, I've got, um, uh, almost an entire run of Giles annuals and I could pull the Giles annual from there that inspired me as a kid and then on that same wall behind me is a tintin book which is tintin and king king otica scepter which uh, was given to me when i was uh, six years old and i have as as long as i can't remember a time in my life when i wasn't obsessed with comics i, I just always loved them yeah uh and i don't really know why I, my mum always says that i was uh always always making up stories and that's true i always loved stories and i think the one i first got the uh, king otica scepter uh, I couldn't I couldn't read it then. And so I made up my own story. And when I got a chart, when I actually could read it properly, I was disappointed to read the real story because my story was much more exciting. Yeah. It's only later on when I read it again uh, that I realized how good it was. But back then it was like, oh, is that the story? Blimey, that's not what I thought. So anyway, I've always, I've always loved, I've always been obsessed with uh, with comics. I love the idea of telling a story with pictures and words. It just it just absolutely appeals to me. So all, all through my life, so when, when other people would, would dream of being... Um, train drivers or, or rocket scientists or brain surgeons all i ever wanted to do is draw comics and and i don't know where it came from but it just it's just been with me my whole life so all through school i just want to draw comics all you know and I, the funny thing was was that my careers advisor convinced me that i should get a proper job he said you can always draw comics but get yourself a proper job so at the time i i'd, I'd worked for ryman's uh, at the stationers uh, as a saturday job and they were happy to put me on their management training program so that was going to be my career path which is i was going to leave college at least school and go straight into working for ryman's and uh, this is this is true my life's full of strange little events that happened which which basically rescued me from disaster <laughs> so uh, about i don't know about two months before i left school i went to my mum and i said i can't do it i've got to go to art college i don't want to go and work in Wyman's. and she said well are you sure i said yes so i'd missed the application dates by yonks so she walked across the road to my local um i i at the time my parents lived opposite the local art college so she walked in there and got me an interview the next day and i got a place <laughs> to go to art college so wow. i know i was very lucky i was incredibly lucky so i, I went to art college um and then that was it, really. I, I went went to art, what my you know did the usual, the lower diploma, then the higher diploma, blah blah blah. And then uh, after four years of college, I I, uh, I started taking my portfolio around, and um, yeah, yeah, it's the usual thing. Back in these, this was the good old days before the internet, so you could actually phone people up, make an appointment, go and show them your portfolio. One of the people I got in contact with was uh, a very famous cartoonist called uh, Mel Kalman. He used to do a a little cut a pocket cartoon uh, in newspapers called Love Is. Okay. Oh, it's with those little figurines that... Not that one. It? No, no, I, I know the one. You oh, okay. Yeah, uh, uh, I might not. 
uh, I might be wrong about what it's called. In fact, what I'll do is I'm talking to you. I'll look it up on on the internet, okay, and tell you what the strip was called because because it's part of the story. So at the time, he had he had an art gallery in Lamb's Conduit Street in London, and I went to see him and I showed him my work and said, "Look, I I I, I like your work." He says, "It's good fun, but I I can't give you anything. I don't have anything. You know, there's nothing I can do." But I've got a friend who's uh, an animator and he runs a studio and he, I think you should go and see him. So he said his name is um, uh, Bob Godfrey. Now, Bob Godfrey is the creator of uh, uh, Rhubarb and Custard and Henry's Cat. Okay. So uh, I then got his telephone number. And so I phoned up, I phoned up um, uh, Bob Godfrey's tele- uh, studio, got through to his secretary and, and it was like, can I speak to Bob Godfrey, please? And she said, hang on a minute. And then she came back. She says, can I ask you who it is, please? And I said, yeah. It's uh, David Leach, and and uh, and basically Mel Cameron's told me that uh, he should see me, and she was like, "Oh right, okay, hang on." So then the phone goes dead, and then suddenly Bob's on the phone, and uh, he was like, "Hello," I said, "Hello," and he goes, "He goes, your name's David Leach." I said, "Yeah," and he goes, "And apparently Mel Cameron says I should see you," and I went, "Yeah," and he goes, "Well, you better come and see me then." So I was like, "Oh, okay." So uh, there we are. So I go and see Mel. And I, I go and see Bob, and I show him my work. And he goes, uh, "I like your work. It's great fun, but I've got nothing for you. But I'll bear you in mind." And there we are. That was it. So that was in yeah. September. And then on Christmas Eve, this is all true, by the way. None of this is made up. On Christmas Eve, I get a phone call from a drunk man. Hello, hello, oh, hello. Listen, are you still looking for a job? Yeah, great. Come and see me January the second. Have a great Christmas. Put the phone down. <laughs> and it was like bloody hell. So January the 2nd, I go into London, but uh, Bob had a studio in Neil Street, uh, 56, I think it was Neil Street. So, and he's up on the third floor. So I arrived there, uh, Christmas, uh, 2nd of January, 1987. I buzzed the door. It was only him. He was up on the, uh, up on the top floor. I walked all the way up and I got there and he looked at me up from his drawing board and he went, who are you? I went, I'm David Leach. And he went, what do you want? And I said, well, you phoned me up and offered me a job and he goes did i when was that i said christmas eve and he went oh he looked around this looked around the studio and he went well that drawing board's free you can have that one and that's how i got my first job in comics and basically what he did was he got me to draw henry's cat which is his the cartoon he was animating at the time for uh, itv and henry's cat would appear in in the news of the world newspaper the sunday supplement and he appeared in um in the Halifax Savers magazine, and it appeared in Button's comic. And I'd be given a script, and I was sent away, and I'd have to draw in his style and draw Henry's cat. And then he would ink me, uh, then I would do the colouring, and then it'd be sent off to be printed. And that was my first job as a cartoonist. Ah. Just uh, And after a year, I, I went freelance, and then I ended up on... Back in those days, you could actually... Um, the government, weird enough, wasn't run by a bunch of utter scumbags as it is currently. Uh, <laughs> and they had this thing called the Enterprise Allowance Scheme. And if you had a thousand pound in your bank account, they would sponsor you for a year, and you'd get you'd get double the uh, the the dole to actually help get your business off the ground. So what you would do is you'd you'd arrange with your bank to have a, a loan of a thousand pounds just for the purposes of getting this grant. So that's what I did. I, I my local bank put a thousand pounds into my account. I couldn't touch it, and I got sponsored by the government. And what that would mean is that every few months, somebody from the government would come around and check out to see what I was doing. So for a while, I was the country's only government-sponsored cartoonist. Mm, that's interesting. That's a, that's quite an achievement. It's almost like you should get an award for that, shouldn't it? <laughs> I did. I got paid for a year to draw comics, so that was brilliant. Well, there you go. Um, that's brilliant. After that, it was just it's just the usual of any any cartoonist. I mean, back then, I didn't know that that people got paid to draw to write comics i assume that because i always this is the thing i always wanted to do humor i wasn't interested in doing serious comics so i assumed that you wrote and drew your own stuff 
So uh, I, I knew I wanted to do this. Now, when I was working at Bob, there's a, a kids comic that launched called Oink, which is a, a, a very yeah. famous comic. And when I saw Oink, I knew instantly I had to be in Oink. I just had to be in it. So uh, I, I'd also created a character called Psycho Grand at that point. Yeah. And so I sent Psycho Grand off. And I, uh, I didn't know back then, this was published by IPC, back then, I assumed everything came out of King Reach Towers. What I didn't know was that Oink was the first comic to be actually done from Manchester and then sent to London. So it was done completely autonomously from IPC. So I sent my my samples off to IPC and I got I got contacted by Bob Painter, who was the uh, group uh, editor of all the of all the kids comics. So I went to, I went to see Bob and he said, "Look, I like your stuff. Everyone kept saying I like your stuff, but um, if you do a job for me, I'll send your work to Oink." So I had to do, uh, I think it was a four-week pull-out section for two characters called Phil Fit and Brad Habit. And uh, I did this pull-out supplement. It was, a, it, was a, it was a fitness supplement. And I did that, and they sent my work off to Oink. And then Oink got in contact and said, yeah, we love Psychogran. And that was it. I was away. So I drew Oink. I drew Psychogran uh, in Oink, and I drew a couple of other things. And then Oink went under, which was a great shame. And then I, I'd made friends with uh, some some other cartoonists. One of them, uh, we collaborated um, on a strip called The Driver. That was uh, a cartoon called Banks. He drew uh, Bert the Alien. And uh, we we sent it off all over the place. And we, we always found it very hard to land to get The Driver. And then a new comic came out, which was called Toxic. And we sent we yeah. sent The Driver off to Toxic. And Pat Mills and Kevin Neal absolutely loved it, thought it was amazing. And so we got we got the driver into toxic, which was for us, you know, it was amazing. It was our, it was our break and we were absolutely thrilled. So we did the, we did the driver and then, uh, I went away and did a strip called the dinner ladies from hell, which is also in toxic. And then, um, we were working on a sequel to the driver when a sadly toxic, uh, folded. Oh, now the weird thing was, was that, that our work got seen by people. So, uh, a Marvel, a us editor saw our driver stuff, and said, would you guys like to do a comic for us, for Marvel? Uh, I, I'm the editor of a comic called The Toxic Crusaders, and I think you guys could do a good job. Would you write it for us? So we went away, we wrote up some ideas, we sent this to them, and he loved it. So we landed um, we landed a, a one issue of Toxic Crusaders, and then he said, listen, do you want to draw it too? And we went, yeah, we'd love to. So we ended up writing and drawing a Marvel comic. So oh, Amazing. It, it, for me, it was fantastic. So I actually wrote and drew issue seven, I think it was issue seven, of The Toxic Crusaders. Um, and then they said, listen, we absolutely love what you've done. Would you like to do a four book miniseries for us? And we went, oh, my God, would we? So he went away and he wrote an idea and we said, did all the covers and they loved it. And then he said the same thing. Listen, do you want to draw it? And we said, yeah, I'd love to. And then we're doing that. And then one week before our deadline on the first issue, Marvel US collapsed and they went bankrupt. No. And the first thing it was they canceled <laughs> their entire line of TV related titles, including us. And we lost our editor. And we were just, we were paid for the work we'd done, but that was it. So we drew the first issue. It never got published. Oh. It basically, by that point, um, uh, uh, my working partnership with Banks uh, came to an end. Uh, and I had to get a job because basically British comics were, were collapsing. Comics were everywhere, just dying. They were, that was it now. It, it was the death nail. Um, and it was a very bad time. Uh, and I, I still want, just wanted to do human. Now, the weird thing was at the same time of doing all this, I was also doing things like coloring for Marvel UK. So I was coloring all their comics for them. Not all of them, okay. you know. So I went to see the editor-in-chief at Marvel UK, which was Paul Neary, and, and uh, said, can I have a job, please? And he went, okay, why? So I said, I've been working, blah, 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 blah. And I had another interview with the publisher, and I got a job at Marvel UK as, as an assistant editor. 
And I swore, that's it. I've had it with drawing comics. I'm just going to edit now. And so I then spent the next God knows how many years. I think I was 1993. I then worked for eight years during editing comics, uh, either freelance or, you know, I worked for Marvel for five years and then I went freelance again. And then I decided, I decided 2001, no, 2000 to go back to college and retrain as an animator. So I went back to college and I retrained as, as a, a 2D drawn animator uh, at St. Martin's. I, I got a postgraduate uh, distinction and then I got snapped up by the games industry. I ended up working for Codemasters as, a, as, a, as an animator, which were, ended up being uh, four of the most miserably uncreative years of my life, which is very depressing. Uh, and then um, I, did, I did some interesting things, though. I... <laughs> I this, these are very old games, but I ended up being a voice artist for three games. So okay. I, I used to be, uh, they, they, uh, Codemasters used to do a game called LMA Football Manager, and I was the voice of one of the managers. So if you if, if, if you were playing the game and uh, you were using the, the, the manager's sort of encouragement button, you'd hear me shout things like, get it up the front, 4-2, 4-2, pass the ball, pass. and that was me. <laughs> so I did that, and I was also I was also the level the level one boss of a game called Toka Race Car Driver, and the idea was it was the first uh, racing game that had a story, and you played the same character, and you, you played him through his career. And after the end of the first year of the game, you uh, I challenge you to a race. So I phone you up and say, hey, do you think you can beat me? If you do, you get to win my car. And so you race against me, and then if you beat me, I go, well done, and I give you the keys to my Mini. So I was the voice of that. And then I think, I'm not too sure, but I think I was the a character in Colditz. They had a game called Colditz. And I think I was a character in that too. But definitely I was an LMA football manager and definitely I was the voice in Tocker Race Car Driver, which I'm quite chuffed about. Yeah, um, that's really good. I was going to say, is it different doing the animation for a computer game compared to like a comic? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, like, so I, I trained as a 2D animator, which meant I, I did I, I drew it. I drew everything. And then I got mm-hmm. I got picked up by the games company. I had to learn how to animate in 3D. So the thing about doing drawn animation is that you're completely in control. The thing about 3D animation, or, or the way it used to be, was that the computer would would animate between the the points that you had done. Okay. So when you're drawing, so so and also a computer will always find a curve. It won't it won't do. So whereas I was a very good strong what they call key to key animator. So I do strong key to key poses and then animate between those two poses i was i was good at doing that i found it very hard to actually uh, change and actually be able to animate using the computer because for me the computer would take away what i wanted to i just couldn't get the hang of it it, it just me and it wasn't wasn't were never suited i ended up i ended up mainly storyboarding for them but the, other thing, <laughs> the other thing i did was is uh, <laughs> we had to i animated all the cutscenes. so uh, I, I would take mocap uh, um, uh, footage and, and blend them together, and then, and then animate camera tracks and all that sort of stuff. And we we we'd have to animate the the the, the characters. And the thing we we had sliders, so we could actually make their mouths make shapes. So I okay. I, I did all all the voice shapes so that all the footballers were swearing. So you, if you're watching the cutscenes, you would see them shout. You know. It, it's, <laughs> that, that made me laugh i thought it was very funny but i got into trouble for that and i had to change it all because i had them all swearing their heads off and that they and you could read their lips it's like what what did he just say About my so anyway um so I, so that was your rebellious time then <laughs> well i think i think what it was i i'm i'm someone who's uh i don't i don't necessarily think it's a good trait but i i i have a naughty mischievous um part of me and i i really should keep it in check but um 
frankly, I can't help myself. When the mist descends, I, I just give in to the monster. Well, I think it's fun to have a mischievous side. So, you know, you keep be. it up. No, it's, got yeah. me, it's got me in major trouble in the past, though. I, I can't tell you some of the things it's got me into, but I have I have got, had some major shit come down to me for the things I've done. So it's, oh, okay. I wouldn't recommend it to the, no. the weak hearted. <laughs> okay. Well, there we are, people. <laughs> yeah. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do what I do. do don't, don't, definitely don't do what I do. Anyway, just to bring it up to date, blah, 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 blah. So I left Codemasters, um, and then I ended up in the single best job of my entire life, and it was bliss. I got a job for a British, with a London-based animation company, uh, storyboarding. And they were doing okay. a new show, and I was storyboarding on that, and it was just wonderful. And one day, I let slip that I, I was going home. They asked me what you're up to, and I said, I'm going home to do some writing. And he went, you write as well? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm a cartoonist. Of course I do. And they were like, oh, amazing. Listen, do you want to write some of our shows for us? So I ended up storyboarding, writing shows for them. And that was terrific. And all I would do every single day was go into the office and just draw or write. And that's all I did for a year. And it was just total 100% bliss. I loved it. It was, it was so wonderful that I didn't actually like going home. I, like, I, wanted, I, I would have happily worked all night long. I just adored it. It was just pure creative release and it, it was total bliss and then they made me a um development producer so the idea was i'd go away and come up with concepts for new shows and so and it was just going like great guns so i went from being a freelancer to being on the books and it was wonderful and then sadly uh one month into me as a development producer my boss took me out for a walk on the thames and said i'm really sorry but but we've run out of money and so oh. i lost that job and uh as luck would have it the week i lost that job uh titan comics or titan books at the time advertised for a graphics novel editor for their book department so i applied got the job and i've been there now for 14 years although now i work in, in titan comics and i i'm now Titan's senior comic editor a creative editor i'm senior creative editor at titan comics where i oversee things like uh, blade runner 2029 it was Blade Runner uh, 2019, but we just started the second year. I'm doing a second Blade Runner title called Blade Runner Origins. I do Rivers of London. I do all, all sorts of shades of magic. I do collections of old uh, vintage stuff like uh, Flash Gordon and Mandrake the Magician, Dan Dare, Peanuts. I'm doing Peanuts collections currently. <laughs> so uh, when I'm not doing that, uh, I, I, then I started drawing. I'm sorry if I should have told you. Back in 2012, I suddenly got the urge to draw again. I hadn't drawn for about eight years, and I suddenly had to start drawing again. And weird enough, it was Psychogran that came back to me. She she came out of retirement, and I started drawing her again, just for myself. And one day, my boss saw what I was doing, and, and he loved what I was doing. And so Titan published um, two issues of Psychogran as a dig digital comic. So you can actually get that on Comixology. Okay. And um, when that, that sort of snowballed from there, and then David Lloyd got in contact and asked me to do to work on Aces Weekly. I genuinely thought, this is true, I genuinely thought that he got me mistaken with Gary Leach. So I didn't tell him. And I, I was thinking any minute now he's going to find out that he's got the wrong leech. And so um, <laughs> I do psychogram. And when we when 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 Aces launched, I remember uh, David introducing me. And I suddenly realized from what he was saying was that he knew my work. And that was such for me, such an amazing thing to discover that a cartoonist whose work I deeply admire actually liked my own work was just like, wow. You know, so anyway, since 2012, yeah. I've been doing my own comics and I've, you know, I've done all this stuff. So that's my entire career in a nutshell. So in answer to your original question, which was what inspired me, I, have, <laughs> I haven't the foggiest. I think it was those three books. It was it was Beano, Tintin and Giles. Those three inspired me. And then I, I just I think also what inspired me was every time someone told me no, it made me want to do it even more. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Because it kind of did when you said 
towards the beginning there that the um like your teacher or advisor or whatever said to you to um try and get a proper job yeah it's like so annoying when people are in the artistic line and people you know like and people outside of it always have that sort of responses it really gets on my nerves you know art is and can be a profession you know it's i mean some people some people can't always do it my mum personally is an artist and she does sell some stuff but she doesn't she does it more as a hobby than right. proper yeah. selling it as a job but uh you know it's it, but it is there is a, a market out there for for art and i think there should be a government grant you know especially now because it's the kind of thing that makes people happy isn't it well it's so yeah i I think listen i think you're completely right i'm not gonna i'm never gonna argue that because i think i think art is important i mean if you look at if you look at for example every single thing in your room every single thing in my room has been designed and created by somebody you know yeah Uh, and i think it's a great shame that we have a, a current government who recently ran a campaign which which invited uh, dancers and artists to to give up and and retrain as as maybe in tech yeah you know i mean I, why don't why don't politicians go and retrain as a, a useful member of society like a i don't know i can't think of anything more useful but you know what i mean it's just it's the attitude that the that the arts don't mean anything that that, that, that it's unnecessary I, I i i will say this though that um i think being creative is a is can be a curse as well as a blessing if you're generally creative uh, and I think it's wonderful. It's exceedingly mm. hard to make a career out of it. I've been, I've been, I, I don't know if I can, I'm not going to say lucky because I think that's, that sounds a bit arrogant. Uh, I haven't been lucky because I've worked, I've worked at it, but I have been, I have been fortunate enough that my creativity has helped me get, helped me have a career that spanned over 30 years. I mean, that's unusual. Yeah. You know, and yeah. but I have, ha- I have had to turn my hand at doing things, but I, I do believe that creativity, if you can harness your creativity, it can help you through life. It is sort of, you know, it's enabled me to go from being, you know, a, a cartoonist and a writer to being an editor, to being a storyboard artist, to being, you know, uh, to writing, you know, uh, animated shows. It's, it's enabled me to do all these things that they're all part of the whole. Sometimes people ask me, how do you jump from project to project? And I don't understand the question because for me, it's just part of being creative. You just if you're creative, you yeah. turn your creative energies to whatever problem is in front of you. You're a, a creative problem solver. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, and I think, you know, like you said, lucky. I know, like, obviously you have worked hard at it, but I think also lucky in the sense that you, at times, throughout what you said earlier, you've been at the right place at the right time. Well, it's funny you should say that. I, I always, whenever I do portfolio reviews and people say, how do you break into comics? I say, oh, it's actually really easy. There's only two things you need. And then if you've got those two things, you're going to be, you'll be fine. I said, the first thing is what you just said, which is <laughs> always be in the right place at the right time. And the second yeah. thing is, uh, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And, yes. And they always tut. And I think, well, actually, both those things are, are true to a degree. Uh, and the thing, because you make your own luck, you, you, being at the right place at the right time, it, what that really means is that is that you're able to convince someone you're talking to of your abilities. Yeah. You know, that's what I said earlier on about, you know, if you're, if for example, if you're a cartoonist, you sell yourself. I, I used to go in and do almost stand-up routines in my portfolio because I knew, and I still do, you make somebody laugh, they remember you. There, there are a thousand better cartoonists out there, 10,000 better cartoonists out there. There are 10,000 better writers than me. There are always going to be people who are better than you. It doesn't matter, though. What you have to do is make yourself unique, and you've got you've to gotta make sure the people you're talking to remember you. And that's what I think is yeah. important that you, you develop a, a, a link with the person who might be able to offer you work. You make them like you, 
you know you become you, you you give them something which which other people don't have you know and i think i always find it surprising in in my industry that, that there are certain cartoonists and artists and writers i've met who are absolute dicks just just obnoxious kids and i mm. think i think well i'm not going to work with you and I, i'm in a position to give people work I, I work with people whose work i admire and i like but also people i know i can actually work with the last thing i want to do is is to is to lumber myself with an artist who's got such a, an inflated opinion of, of themselves that they're completely useless to work with and i can't believe how many of them are out there that they just blast through life it, uh, I'm stopping there before I say too much. Fair enough. But it kind of brings me to my next sort of question in a way, because, you know, with regards to sort of collaboration and things like that, do you quite like collaborating with other people or do you feel that you work better when it's your own words and your own artwork on the page? Well, remember, I mean, like my day job, I'm an editor. So being an yeah. editor is, is all about collaboration. I, I have to put together art teams. So I go away and I'll find, you know, a, a project I, I'll get. I go away and I find the right artist and the right and the right writer. I, I you know, and I put them together. So I think that being an editor is, is extremely collaborative. And I think yeah. it's a great shame that, that a lot of comics uh, consider the role of an editor to be nothing more than just a postboy passing stuff along. And I think that, 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 a proper editor given given the rights is is invaluable on the comic because we're not trying to stamp our own authority onto it but we can offer insights that the writer and the artist maybe don't see because they're too close to the project you know yeah so I, I think in that respect uh, being an editor it's all about collaboration you know you're keeping the whole thing running you, you've got to when it comes to it comes to doing your own stuff when i was working with banks that was that was an extraordinarily exciting creative process you know two people writing together it's it's a very hard thing to do not many not many uh, partnerships survive uh, th- there's always going to come a point where where you 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 drift away but when, when yeah. it's working properly, it, it can be very exhilarating. It is frustrating because uh, it's like in relationships, which is just another collaboration. Everything about these things, it, 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 it's learning what to give up. It's learning to surrender stuff that you might. It, it, it's um, I, I suddenly had the right word and I just lost it, fell out of my head. Um, it's sort of knowing, you know, you've got to give things up. You can't you can't have yeah. your own way all the time. So it's, it's compromise. So about when you're working with other writers, it's about compromise. If you're working on a project together, though, it can be quite, very exhilarating. And you quickly find out your strengths and weaknesses. There's things that, that you'll do that your, your partner can't do and everything. I, I haven't worked – I've never worked with another artist with my script. So uh, I've, I've always written and drawn my own stuff. So I've written for other artists. Oh, that's not true. Yeah, I've written for other artists, but that's different. So I've written for things like – I wrote the Wallace and Gromit newspaper strip. I wrote uh, Red and Stimpy in Spider Man. Uh, yeah, I've written that sort of stuff. That's different. I mean, if I'm if I'm writing scripts for uh, someone else's character, I'm not that precious because I'm I'm a, I'm a writer for hire. I'm I'm doing my job. I'm getting paid. Mm. I, I don't really care a great deal. I, no, no, that's not true. I do care, but I, I'm also a strong believer in in uh, if the artist has been hired by someone else. The reason they've been hired is the editor thinks they're good. So I'm not going to start getting all snotty and, and oh, how dare you draw my scripts this way. It's their interpretation of it, you know. So it's sort of if I've done a good enough job with my scripts, then then um, I mean, I, I, I'm one of these sort of people that if I'm doing a, a six page script for, for another artist, they'll get a 12 page script because I'll go into detail and explain a panel and break it down for them because I want to make sure I've given them enough information. Some writers don't. Some writers will do a very, very short script, you know one page of script for one page of artwork i think it all depends so uh 
I feel like I've rambled off on rambled oh, off. You're absolutely fine. Like I said before we started recording, this podcast is called Talking Cods Follow Pod. Listeners hear me and obviously James normally, but he sends his apologies for not oh, being here, oh, by right. the way. But he's not well. Yeah. Oh, good. He's too yeah, he's too poorly at the moment. But right. um yeah, with regards to the listeners, they hear us speak every week, so it's really it's really nice. We want you to have the platform okay, this week. Cool. To, yeah. All right. Well, okay. I mean, if we're getting on to like three hours, I might have to nip it in the bud. Oh, I like you know. too. I mean, I think uh, I think let's let's go for an hour. See, we go for an hour. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, collaborating. So, um, uh, yeah, what I was going to say. Yeah. So basically, I do care about what what the artist does, but I'm not precious about it. I think because you know what's important. What's important about a comic strip isn't the way you describe a panel. It's how the artist draws the panel. What's important yeah. when you're writing a script is that is that there's enough room for your balloons filled with your words. I, I once worked with a writer who I'm not going to name, who when I asked him if he was happy for me to do a script edit, said, I'm not changing a single word. I've sweated over every letter. And I thought, mm. wow, that's not a good attitude to have. Yeah, that's not a good attitude. Have, you know there's there should be there should be room for 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 change progression yeah I, yeah i'm not saying i'm not gonna i'm not saying that all my suggestions are good but you should at least be open to reading what what i'm suggesting uh so when it comes to my own scripts for other people i don't mind what they do as long as they have enough room for my lovely words yeah that's <laughs> fair enough <laughs> <laughs> and like sort of i've got two separate questions uh-huh. which um i don't have any personal knowledge of so right. i was i was gonna say with regards to when you're in your process of creating a comic do you tend to do the artwork first or is the writing first uh well uh for me because um because the way my brain's wired i do both simultaneously so uh so when i was doing the third issue of david each Kong's universe last year I I thought I I started um, uh, one of my notebooks just started doodling out all the panels and I thought oh this is fine I'll, I'll do this I don't need to write a script so when I'd done the other the other two issues I'd actually written full scripts for myself so even though I was drawing it I was doing like a 45, 45 page script for a twenty two page comic I was putting that much detail even just for myself because I wanted to approach the project as if I was writing it for another for another artist. So I, I used that mentality. For issue three, I just thought, I, I, I don't care. I just want to get on with it. So I tried just to storyboard the whole thing, and I was doing it, doodling it out. But I kept redoing the set, first 10 pages over and over again. And I realized that that I was, but that by cheating, I, I was actually failing. So what I ended up doing was I ended up uh, thumbnailing out the script as just like quick stick figures and then writing loads of dialogue. And then I then turned that whole thing into a script. Now, what I could do by doing that was that I was able then to actually uh, edit down. So the great thing about writing isn't the initial writing, it's the editing. That's what's actually the fun part, where you you, you condense it. And I think that having been, being an editor, this this is the talent I love the most, which is you take... You take I, ended up, I ended up with a script that, if I'd drawn it, would have been 48 pages. And I thought, I don't have time to draw a 48-page comic. No. I've got to get this comic down to 32 pages. So I had to excise 12 pages and that was a wonderful wonderful experience you just start cutting out the deadwood you know and um, i've got certain rules that i I stick to when it comes to to writing it i believe that you you should always start a scene on a new page don't start a scene halfway down a page start on a brand new page never leave a scene if you're going to go back to it so the idea is don't leave don't walk out of a door if you're going to come back into that room once you've left that room you move on to the next thing so don't go back okay make sure everything's finished because a good example would be 
the first Pirates of the Caribbean film where there's there's one scene in a grotto. They actually go back to it three times. It's like, for God's sake, this is so irritating. This becomes very boring. Yeah. So for me, I, I, I like to keep I, I'm, I'm a very linear storyteller. I like to keep things slammed down the middle, keep things going, keep the momentum going. So never leave a room, you know, never come back to a room once you've left it type thing, blah, blah, blah. So there's all these sort of certain rules that I stick to. Uh, and I find the process then becomes that you doodle it out and then you, you write it. And by writing it, it's actually very, it's very liberating when you're writing down the panels. Uh, it enables you to see the picture better in your head in a weird way. So it's a combination of the two things. It's a, it's, it's a sense of drawing it and writing it simultaneously. But the end product is that you end up, I end up typing the whole thing out. So I've got a proper, proper full script. Okay. You know, which I think yeah. is important. I, I want that. I want that. Also, I want that artifact. I want to, know that that's the script and then when i print it out i can make notes on it and i can i can tweak and also the weird thing is that once you start drawing it from that point of view you still make changes you still uh, i mean for me i'm very plot driven i i i need to know the last line of every story i write before i can start writing it so okay i usually start with, with an idea and then i very quickly think of what the last line is going to be now sometimes that last line might change before i get to the end but i have to know the ending before i can start now it's interesting because I, i'm very plot driven but someone like stephen king who i'm a great admirer of i love stephen king he thinks that plot is the enemy of the writer I, i'm paraphrasing but the idea is is that you should just yeah. let that you should let the writing just take you over but i think that as i'm trained as an editor now that i can't do that because i know that i've got a certain number of pages to fill so I, I aimed for a 22-page comic, and I realized that I had too much material for a 22-page comic. And in my head, I went up in eights because you print in eights or sixteens. And I thought, what's the next okay. number up from, from, from you know, 22? And so I went for, I think it was 32. So I went for 10 pages. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, was en- that was enough because that still works. That's still fine because it doesn't matter. But anyway, so what, what it enables you to do then is that you're constantly thinking. And but by having an actual end in sight – it forces you to edit as you go along, which I think is very important. Too many young cartoonists or modern cartoonists, uh, they're too self-indulgent. They sort of just ramble on. And I think that if they, if they were stricter with themselves and actually edited themselves, I think that, that they would have – they produce better stuff. If you look at modern comics compared to, let's say, comics in the 70s. So I grew up on comics in the 70s. Okay. If you, if, if you look at a, a copy of The Hulk from the 70s, there's one I always remember where in one issue he has a fight on the Earth, gets shot into space, has a battle in space, then crashes down on Earth and has another battle, all in one 22-page comic. But then if you look at a modern comic from another Hulk comic, let's say from the, from the, ni- uh, from the 2000s, I remember one whole issue took place in a diner and all it was was, was talking heads and nothing happened, mm. you know? And, and for me, uh, I want there to be action. I don't want a slow paced comic. I want it to be, you know, yeah, because comics can do stuff that, that I, I get, I get surprised when people think that comics and, and, and films are the same thing. You know, they're not, they're, they're totally different animals. You can do things in comics. You could never do in a movie. And the way that you stole, you can tell stories in, in comics is is so liberating compared to film. I know that you can do great things with film, but comics give you a, a, such an extraordinary uh, 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 canvas to, to 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 work with. It is yeah. I love it. I mean, I I still I still get tingles. I still get goosebumps about comics. I, I truly love them, and they're they're they've been a, you know that's the thing for me is that they've been a part of my my whole life. I don't. There's never been a time when I, I wasn't surrounded by them or, or making them or reading them. You know, I mean, Jesus, I've got I've got two comics to read. I've got two books. I bought I bought the new um, um, <laughs> but I bought an old Giles annual volume volume seven, which I didn't have. And I just picked it up. And over there, I've got um, 
That's it. Jacobs, uh, P, uh, Edgar, Edgar P. Jacobs, who did Blake and Mortimer. There's a wonderful series of books, and I've just got the new one in. So I'm always reading comic books. I, 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 there's not a day goes by when I don't read them. So they, they completely obsess me. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's good. It's good to have a passion, isn't it? Because, like, my, my big passion is this podcasting and talking to people. So, you know, that is, yeah, that's something. If I could do it for a living, unfortunately probably likelihood because there's so many people out there that are doing podcasts but like you were saying earlier with regards to like doing your writing in the artwork for comics and stuff it's quite hard to get your foot in the door with these kind of things but uh well but there are ways i mean you can always get in contact with your local radio stations i mean you've got enough you've got enough evidence that you can interview people you should i've got i've got a friend who writes for a local radio station i've i've you know i mean they're always crying out for people give it a go have a look at your local radios i think people sort of forget about about local radio it can actually be quite a creative um platform okay yeah i Check did actually, it out. yeah i will thank you that was a big <laughs> tip thank you very much i will i will look into it <laughs> um and my other question was with regards to obviously we we're talking about your editing process and whatnot and um just what is actually involved in editing a comic and are there certain guidelines that you need to kind of follow you know, with regards to all of the PC world stuff that's going on at the moment. And well, not at the moment, it's been going on for ages, isn't it? But um, okay, well, I mean, uh, I, I learned I learned how to be an editor at Marvel at Marvel UK, and and there there was a certain house rules that Marvel UK used, and I think that the, those were those those are rules I still stick by. One of the ones I absolutely love, which is that no balloon, no speech balloon, should have more than thirty words in it. Mm. Now, I think I think that's such a, a wonderful rule it's also a great thing if you're writing if you write a massive long speech balloon and you look at it and you go okay can i cut this down to 30 words that is such a such a uh a fantastic tool to be able to do that if you can you take what you write and you think i've just written the best bit of dialogue in the world it's a shame it's 60 words in one balloon the reason for this is that if you have too many balloons crammed with over 30 words on a page your reader's not going to bother reading it yeah they, they'll, they'll get bored it's too much to read they don't want that so you want to be able to be as, as precise or concise as possible not precise but concise as possible so if you write loads try and whittle it down always try and whittle it down if you can why say something in 15 words if you can do it in 10 if you can do it in 10 can you can you get it down any further it's actually quite yep. it's quite fun but also re still retaining the voice so there's certain rules about that you know there's certain ways that um there's little things like uh, one of the things that really annoy me <laughs> in lettering in in, in amateurish lettering is that people that use serif eyes so eyes that have got you know top and bottom um yeah Right, so you use serif eyes in things, anything other than I. So they'll use it every all, all the way through. So if it was fight, it would be F serif I G H T. That really winds up bad lettering in a comic is 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 awful. There's there's you know yeah uh, just terrible. It's one of the sort of things you see a lot in 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 people who you know do there's that you must notice this in comic conventions. There's a whole whole cottage industry that's that's sprung up now of young people making their own comics and selling it to other young people who make their own comics they're sort of like a self-fulfilling you know prophecy yeah. yeah and and the thing is that a lot of them are manga orientated and i think the reason for that is that you get so many manga artists who who draw manga because it's easy to draw that it's a great shame because if you look at this wonderful tradition that we have for comics in this country not not just british comics uh, but even then, I mean, my God, you know, we created the, the comic form. We we created comics before anybody else. And I find it so frustrating. Young people have been inspired by manga. And, and the weird thing is that we live in a, we live in an era where 
where everyone goes on about, oh, you mustn't culture uh, misappropriate other people's cultures. And yet we have we we completely misappropriated manga, which is yeah. weird because the Japanese uh, appropriated it from American comics in the first place. The whole reason that we have manga comics is that the Japanese were reading American comics after World War Two and that they were doing these great big round eyed characters because they were trying to draw Westerners. That's why we have manga. And that's the so weird thing. So you take manga, which was appropriated from the Americans, and now we're appropriating it into this dreadful mishmash of, of, of UK or Western manga, which I, yeah. I just breaks my heart. Because if you look at you look at the wonderful comics that Europe produces, you look at uh, Hergé and uh, Jacobs and all the rest. Just those two are my favourites. But you look at all the rest. There is such an extraordinarily great school of, of of European cartoonists. Extraordinary. I could I could pick books off my shelf for hours and show you wonderful artists in Europe. But all these all these young cartoonists, they don't care about that. They just draw this dreadful manga with like dozens of whiz lines and great big eyes and beads of sweat shooting off them. And it's like, oh, well, you've missed the whole point of comics. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah, best I get best it. Best that's just me. I mean, but listen, that said, there are mangas I truly adore. I mean, Akira was brilliantly drawn. Gunsmith Girls I love. There's loads of stuff, loads of mangas. I could Monster, I got over there a whole stack of Monster, which is a absolutely brilliant 10-part manga. So when it's good manga, I bloody love it because those guys can draw like you wouldn't believe. But when it's just yeah. knockoff manga and, and it tends to be doe-eyed, I don't know. Let's let I don't want to say any more. No, that's fair <laughs> enough. I think it's people jumping I think the way to sort of sum it up is people jumping on the bandwagon, isn't it? Like that's the most popular thing at the moment, so we're gonna we're gonna have an attempt at doing it, you know. It will sell. Yeah, no, well I mean the thing is that what I find frustrating is that they pick up lots of, of, of um, lots of tricks from, from looking at manga and they can copy those tricks easily, but they're not see that that's the thing. It's like when I, when I went to college, you, you couldn't learn comics. If you, if I went to an art school and they said, what do you want to do? And I just want to be a cartoonist. They threw me out. They wouldn't even interview me. Okay. Cause as far as I was concerned, they said, you can't teach comics. And I, I believe that, that you can't teach comics. I think what you can do is if you want to be a cartoonist, you learn by drawing, you know, that you yeah. love comics and so you draw your own comics. That's how you become a cartoonist. What you can learn at college is how to do things like life drawing, which is the single most important talent that any cartoonist needs, is the ability, yep. to, draw, ability to draw human figures. That's what you need. Everything else is, is secondary. Uh, you can learn that sort of stuff. You can learn how to draw other things. You can learn design and all that sort of stuff, which will help you as a cartoonist. But when it comes to you wanting to draw comics, the best thing you can do, like if you want to be a writer, the best advice you can ever give anybody who wants to be a writer is tell them, write every day. Just write. Put aside two or three hours a day and just write every single day of your life. And you will get better. You will get better. But yeah. all this stuff takes practice. And I think it's like any any creative thing takes practice. No one, no one, no one is creative and that's it okay they all have worked at what they've done and unfortunately yep. i believe that we live in a society that you've got things like the x factor and britain's got talent and everyone believes they're going to get instantly picked up and they don't need to do any hard work that you look at all the best musicians in the world they've spent years of their lives honing their skills they say that it takes ten thousand hours to become good at something okay yeah many people i think just want to cut corners and so they see manga and manga gives them a chance to cut corners i'll just copy that if it's good enough for them it's good enough for me and i think that's a great show yeah yeah i definitely agree with that james wants to know he <gasps> sort of sent, sent me a message saying what's the most rewarding and 
challenging part of your current job? The most rewarding is getting my salary check every month, and so I can go and buy. Things. <laughs> That's what, I know. I tell you. I tell you what's. I tell you what. I I will tell you what's rewarding. So uh, I didn't. I didn't actually end up answering your last question, which is uh, about being an editor. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, you so, didn't, did you? <laughs> no, I, I, I cunningly, I cunningly, uh, I did a politician's trick and, and side sideswiped you. So quickly, tell me your question again, and I'll answer that one very quickly for you. Um, well, my question was, what's actually involved in editing a comic? Okay, good, yeah, yeah and okay. also, what kind of guide, uh, certain guidelines do you have to kind of? All right. Okay, yeah, so I, I started with my guidelines. So what's involved in editing a comic? You've got to understand that someone like Titan, what we tend to do is pick up licenses. So we pick up we can pick up licenses. So what we're doing is a license-owned comic. So my job then is to liaise with the license holder on the comic. So it's very important that I have a good relationship with the license holders. So yeah. this, this is very important. So you have to work very closely with the license holder and very closely with the writers and the artists on a project. And you have to make sure that it, it, that, you're, you're, that everything you do is approved by certain different people. So um, it, it, it's a matter of, of going out and finding – once you get a project um, – you then find a team, you put them together, you get them approved, and then you, you work on an idea, you get that approved, and then that turns into a script, you get that approved, and that turns into a So what you're doing is you're basically, uh, you're keeping the machine running. You know, you're, you're sort of, yeah. you're, you're, you're checking things, you're reading scripts, you're making notes, you send the notes back to the writer. I, I suggest you do this. I suggest this, maybe this would work better. You know, you do that sort of stuff. Uh, they don't have to always follow your, uh, follow what you say because you're not cutting, it's not set in stone, but you're giving advice. Same thing for the artist. When I get, when I work with an artist, I want to see the thumbnails of, of what they're doing first. I look at the thumbnails. I compare that to the script. If that's good, we then we then uh, go to pencil stage, get the pencils approved, then get the inks approved, then get it coloured, then get it lettered. So everything is is constant, keeping this whole thing going. So it, it's a very it's a very sort of um, relentless thing because you're doing this every single month. And I, I've got currently I've got what five four different comics on the go every single month. That's quite a lot isn't it yeah it is a lot it's a lot and you, you've just got to keep it going you've got to just keep doing it so that's what, so being an editor you're doing all sorts of stuff you're uh, other things you can be so sometimes you're script editing sometimes you're you're, you're you're storyboarding or you're making art changes sometimes you're writing for example all of the stuff that isn't comic strip you're writing so okay all the all the back cover blurb for all the graphic novels i write all of that Sometimes I might have to write features in the back of a graphic novel. So I'm doing bonus material at the back and I'm doing things like writing biographies of the artists and writers. Or if I'm doing an old collection of vintage stuff, I'm doing whole new articles about stuff or I'm commissioning people and finding people to write articles for it. You know, you're working with a designer, you're, 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 you know, you're, you've got to design covers. You've got to get, you've got to, Oh my God, there's so many things involved. It, it's, it's just relentless. It sounds as though like every day is, can be different. I mean, obviously, there's going to be same sort of things that happen, but you know, there's probably new challenges every day. It's new challenges every month, so every month okay. the same challenges come around every single month, and you're sort of, you know, uh, and so um, that I think that answers that's the answer. What's it like being an editor? It, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a stimulating job. Um, there are other things that you do. One one of the things that that we do is that uh, if we get a new project, so we get a new license. So, for example. Uh, a few years, several years ago, we got the license to do uh, the prisoner, and so okay. uh, what you have to do then is you have to you have to convince the license holder that that you're you know that you've got a good idea. So as the editor, or as as my job would be to come up with a story idea. So sometimes I used to be asked by my my uh, my uh, um, group the, the um, publishing director 
David, we need an idea. We, we want to pitch for this film. So we want you to come up with an idea. And I just go away and come up with an idea. So, for example, one year I came up with an idea which, which completely combined the entire Jerry Anderson universe into one cohesive story. Yeah. And I wrote this epic saga. And it was, you know, and uh, we all loved it, but we, we couldn't get we couldn't get it uh, approved. It was back when Thunderbirds had just launched again and they felt it would it would confuse the brand. And another time I worked to to create a universe for the all of that the old hammer horror characters. I came up with an idea that 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 brought them all together under one. And so you go away and you write stuff like that. So I, I did the same thing for the prisoner, which I went away and I wrote a whole new the, the old the old Patrick McGuin TV show. I went away and I wrote the plot for um, for for that, and that was that was very liberating. I found that very exciting. So that's part of my job as well is to come up with stories. I mean, I'm always coming up with stories. It's, it's just one of these things I do. I currently today came up with um with a, a suggested plot outline for a very famous horror franchise, which I can't name. Okay, and that was quite good fun. So I'm doing that. So that- what's the name of that one? <laughs> <laughs> you almost caught me there, dull. <laughs> uh, so so then your next question was what's what's the What's the best thing, was it? Yeah, what's the most rewarding and also challenging part of your current job? Uh, what's the most challenging part? Yeah. And you can use that towards your comics as well, if you wanted to. Or you can use it for the comics instead, whichever. I'm just trying to think, I'm trying to think about challenging. I mean, everything is a challenge. It, it, it's sort of... Mm. It's sort of... It's relentless. It's, 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 it's unstoppable. It just goes on and on and on. There's never... You know, it's weird that, that everyone works towards the end of the year and you think, oh, the end of the year, hooray, a brand new year. But a brand new year is just the same old year, but just back at the beginning. Different yeah. date. Yeah, different date. Yeah. So the challenge... Or same, sh- same shit, different smell, yeah. as I like to say. No, 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 absolutely, absolutely. So I think, yeah. I think the challenge is just the same. It's just, it's just, it's just working. It's, it's, uh, it's just keeping things going. It's just every day is a different challenge. There's different things to worry about lettering the coloring the you know all sorts of stuff it's just relentless uh the 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 best thing about it i'm trying to think that there are there are some times where i mean like you do you do so many books it's really weird that you you sort of you stop looking at them so the funny thing is that i've i've done i don't know how many books i've done now i i really don't know i can't think of a number and sometimes once you've once you've sent it off to to once it's gone off to print you don't think about it and you go on to the next project and the next time yeah. you see it will be three months later when suddenly someone hands you the printed book and you go, Oh my God, I forgot I did that. And then you look at it. So sometimes I won't look at it. I can't bring myself to look at it. I don't want to in case I spot yeah. something wrong in it. But every now and again, I, I've got to work on a project which has meant the world to me. And I'm, I am so proud of what I've done that it brings tears to my eyes. And I, for, for me, what, one of those was I did um, an artist edition of the unpublished prisoner. So it turned out that back in the 70s, Marvel had hired both Gil Kane and Jack Kirby to do The Prisoner. And they both had drawn their own versions of The Prisoner, two 16-page stories that had never been printed. They just sat in a drawer. We got the rights to do it as part of the whole Prisoner thing. So for me, um, the satisfaction came in tracking down the artwork. I had to go and find the artwork. So we found the artwork for the, uh, the Gil Kane very easily. It turned out that one collector in America had all the pages. And that was the, oh, okay. but the artwork for, for Jack Kirby took me 18 months to track down. Okay. I went through so many hurdles. I kept, I kept meeting people who would say, Oh, I know who's got that. I'll be your in, in between. And it went on and on layer upon layer until finally I tracked it down to uh, uh, an American actor who had bought all of the Jack Kirby. And for me, when I, when he sent me a hard drive, 
with all of the Jack Kirby artwork scanned at 200 meg a page. I cried. I was so, it was just wonderful to see it. And when that book was finally published, I was so proud of it. It's a great big book. It's actual size artwork. So it's, I'm holding my hands up for your, for your readers who can't see me. Your listeners yeah. who can't see me. Listeners even, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're talking about a book that's, that's what, a 17 inches tall? you know okay but for me to do that to do to do, i i well, i love okay i love i love i love books so the idea that i'm making is not just a book but i'm making something that that will that will last it, it's it, it's yeah i'm making something that that's got a life that will end up in the in the british museum i've made books that will end up in the british museum that for me uh fills me with real pride I, i'm i'm proud of what i've done yeah. i'm not arrogant about be. it i'm not arrogant about it but I, I to have made an artifact and leave it behind and I've done something and also one of the great things I found was that when I did San Diego last year and, and New York Comic Con I was actually selling these books to people and that was wonderful that I would actually convince them to buy a book that I worked on so that gives me immense satisfaction in terms of my own work <laughs> I, I tell the story which is true uh, I, uh, there's, there's, I'll tell you three it's a three part answer so I remember the very first time I saw I saw one of my cartoons published in in a book and I got paid for it that was such a wonderful feeling that I had I had been paid for something I'd written and drawn and I got money for it. That was incredible. Yeah. And I felt giddy. I felt giddy. And yeah. th- there comes a point when when I see my work in print, I still get excited. I still I still love to see my work in print. It really is it gets this terrific buzz. So that that's the first part of the three part answer. <laughs> The the, the the second the second time I ever felt that was when I went to college and I, I trained as an animator. Now the funny thing was that when I worked for Bob Godfrey for the first time, he trained me in animation. So he, he gave me a, a grounding in animation, and he he would give you these things to do. And one of the things he did was he would say, "I'm going to give you twelve random objects, and you have to animate each object morphing into the next object." So it'd be things like a Christmas tree. And then you can do it in any order you want, but the Christmas tree has to then morph into something else. And that was a terrific test. And I can yeah. uh, I can remember watching my my animation move for the first time was incredible. To see my yeah. actually move that 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 was I that was such an amazing feeling, just incredible. Actually, this is a four point answer, and the fourth point is 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 very is very cutesy. So the third one, okay, this is also true, is that my harshest critic was my mother. Is my mother not was? Is my mother okay? And yeah. I would show her my cartoons as a kid, and she'd always go, "Why do you have to be so violent? Why can't you do something nice?" Okay, and I'd always have to explain the joke to her. And one day, I showed her a cartoon, a Psycho Grand cartoon, and she read it and she laughed, and I didn't have to explain it. And I said to her, "I might as well quit right now because I'm never going to get better than this moment now." That I've, yeah, <laughs> I've drawn a cartoon. You've read it. You've laughed. I've have, I haven't had to explain the joke. That's it. End of my career right now. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely amazing. <laughs> and then the fourth, the silly cutesy one, is is uh, watching my children being born was was just was was just the best thing in the world. So that, and also no, no, not just that, but that's the best thing I've ever created. That's the best thing I've ever made. Those yeah, what's yeah. to? So I, well, I know, co-made, co-made. Technically. Oh, well, yeah, I did all the hard work though. <laughs> <laughs> I was <you> hope so. <laughs> oh my days! But yeah, so, I mean that, that, that's just a silly thing at the end, but it is true. But in terms of that, I think I think that there's a certain sense of you never get over it. I think you shouldn't get over it. Is that sense of of excitement of what you do? But you should only be as good as your as your your every job you do should, should be better than what you've done before. And that's the thing yeah. I think is so important is that you have to keep striving to get better each time. You can't rest on your laurels. You've got to keep pushing the envelope and keep getting 
better and better with each thing you do. Otherwise, there's no real point. There's no point being creative if you're not constantly trying to get better. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree on that. You know, yeah, definitely. As soon as you stop, as soon as you stop, and 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 you just go through the motions, you, you miss it. I'm always amazed at people like Dan Barry who drew uh, who drew Flash Gordon for 50 years. That he did that strip. He did a daily newspaper strip for 50 years. Yeah. He hated it. Why didn't he change then? Well, because he couldn't, because that's the thing. That's the thing. You get, you get sucked into this stuff. He wanted to be a fine artist. He wanted to be respected as a fine artist. It's funny that we live in a world now where cartoonists are sort of like, you know, aren't seen as being um, a crappy profession anymore. You know, like original yeah. artworks you know, can part, go from, for tens of thousands of pounds. But back back when he was drawing it in the fifties, being a cartoonist was just like a pissant job. It was sort of like you know it didn't mean anything. Yeah, and all that wonderful artwork that's been destroyed and lost because no one thought to keep it. You know, it's yeah, terrible. I know, terrible. It's heartbreaking almost. Isn't it is, it? yeah. No, it is yeah. heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talking about obviously comics again. We haven't really talked about Psycho Gran. Thank so you. <laughs> sorry for calling it Nan earlier. Oh my god. <laughs> I do apologise, you know, but I have called you David, so you That's know. Good. Yeah, but then, but then thank God for that, because if you'd called me anything other than David, I would have really let rip. <laughs> no, I do apologise for getting it wrong earlier, but don't worry, don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> it was a slip of the tongue. But did you want to sort of tell the listeners about Psycho Gran, uh, you know, and what what's going on with it all, sort of thing? So I always I always tell people that Psycho Gran, uh, she is the world's most violent granny. She's a five <laughs> five foot tall with uh, with a purple rinse, uh, a pan dimensional handbag, and <laughs> a sentient purse uh, who's also sentient called um, Percy, and she has a dog called Archie. And basically, Psycho Gran detests rudeness, and uh, she if you're rude to Psycho Gran, your days are probably numbered. Uh, and and that's it really. I mean, basically it's an excuse for me to draw a little old lady, uh, causing absolute mayhem and havoc. Um, like I said, I, I do, I do a psycho grand where she beats up superheroes and there's sort of like, uh, I always, I always sort of, in fact, issue one, the first page of issue one is her kicking Superman right in the, in the, in the, uh, genitalia and he's being kicked out of his boots. And I, I, I do this whole thing. I would say, and here's Superman being kicked in the unmentionables and he turned the page and then there's, uh, I think Batman getting his nipples tweaked and there's Batman with it being, you know, what I try and do and uh, try and explain to people and people don't quite get it is that there's, it's not just, it's not just picking on people. I've got to think of like a, a secondary gag or something. So like Batman getting his yeah. nipples tweaked is a reference to, um, to uh, Joel Schumacher's Batman with the nipples. So what, yeah. what it was was actually Batman from the TV show but having his nipples tweaked. So it's like a, you know, it's that sort of thing. And then, then my favorite yeah. one, uh, the one I, I, I sent you was the psycho Grand versus the alien where oh, yeah. kicking him so hard and his, and his genitalia, his nuts are shooting out of his, out of his air, air vent. Yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah. But for me, the funny thing was when I drew that gag, uh, initially the gag was that the alien's tongues extended and he's got his little gangling waddling in, in his, in his open. And I was on the telephone talking to someone and I doodled in a pair of bollocks coming out of his air vents and I burst out laughing because I didn't actually do that originally. And then I had to add them because I realized that's the joke. Yeah. And what I love about it is, is, is finding the joke is that, that sometimes a joke will come to you and you don't, you don't see it coming. Sometimes you think the joke's one thing and then you find it out. So basically Psychogram is this incredibly vicious old lady. Uh, She's actually, uh, I did once work out her origin, which is very messianic. Uh, it turns out that she's actually uh, Eve. She's actually the um, 
because no one ever finds out what happened to Eve. The idea is that Eve is psychogrand. She's the mother of us all. That's the idea. Yeah. Uh, and I, I wrote this story, which is the, which I'll never draw, which is basically the, the final ever psychogrand story, uh, which I, I, so I know how it ends. I, I'm very obsessed with cycles. I love cycles. So I came yeah. up with a story that has a beginning and a middle and an end. So basically psychogrand is a series of, of one-off stories that range from two pages to 12 pages of her just being um, evil and maniacal. Uh, I've, I've recently extended her family. So th- there's, um, I, I found out, I found out that she has a book club in her basement. That, <laughs> yes. that's, um, you sent me that one. Yeah, I like that one. That's Cthulhu. And I love the idea that, that basically in her basement lives Cthulhu and the other elder gods. And they sit around yeah. having a book club where they discuss uh, Fifty Shades of <laughs> Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, so I like that. So um, I, I do this thing. And it's basically just it's just an excuse for me to, to sort of pick on people that annoy me. So I think victims in the past have included uh, cyclist on the pavement. It's included uh, a bag snatch. Uh, there was the man that talked in the cinema. That was quite grim. A lot of them. I also one of the things I've been experimenting with. I'm fascinated. I'm fascinating about about how horror and comedy are very closely connected. I, yeah. I love the fact that you can do an absolutely horrific story, just horrific, right? Just just the yeah. most important thing. But if you make the reader laugh at the very end, you break the spell. So you can, yeah. you can get, and I find that fascinating. So I, I did go through a phase with Psycho where I kept pushing the envelope. I did, I did one that I was very proud of where she invites two Jehovah Witnesses into her house <laughs> and um, she basically poisons them and she paralyzes them and they can't move, but they can still feel everything. And, and the story ends with her getting out this gigantic knife, just huge, horrific knife. And what one of the Jehovah's Witnesses begs for his life, and he's got tears rolling down his face, and he says, "Please, please, please, don't! I've got a, I've got a child." And she goes, "Oh, what was I thinking? Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry." And she turns around, and she ushers her little doggy out the room, and she says, "Out you go now, Mummy's got to work." And then the door slowly closes on these two Jehovah's Witnesses screaming, and the door shuts. Okay, and when it cuts, she's back in it. The whole story starts with her in a garden. The Jehovah's Witnesses come up to her, and they basically intimidate her in a garden. You know, yep. why are you tending your garden? Have you considered the weeds growing in the garden of your soul? Oh, my heavens. So she's an old lady and they're taking advantage of her. So at the end, she's back in a garden and she's 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 tending her roses. And this neighbor. Goes, sorry, I just just very quickly interrupt. Sorry, because um, if you can hear a dog in the background, the um, the door has just gone and our dog has just gone mental. So <laughs> just in case you could hear it. So uh, please continue. Sorry, I apologize. That's the dog's fault. <laughs> That's the dog's fault. So basically, yeah. the, end, the punchline is that she's in the garden tending her roses, and her neighbour says, "Oh, Psycho, your roses are how lovely. However, do you grow them?" And she says, "A nice meaty compost." So the, <laughs> the idea is, is that you know, yeah, that's a, so and and I, I kept pushing it. So I, I sent you the book club, which is the most horrific one I've done, where yeah. she basically lures three burglars into her basement, and they end up being the hors d'oeuvres in the in the book club. Yeah, and they all they all die horrifically. It was just because I wanted to see just how far I could push it. How far can you push this? And I remember David Lloyd was was a bit concerned about it, and he, and he, he sort of said to me this is supposed to be a family comic i, I sort of can get a bit worried about where you're going with this oh, don't worry it'll all work out in the end so i <laughs> and i had that whole gag about they've just murdered these three burglars and then, and then psycho pulls out a bag of marshmallows and says who fancies some toasted marshmallows it's just stupidness so <laughs> yeah I, I do but i do like that so i like to push how far i can go with psycho you know how far can i push the horror and still make it funny i'm obsessed with making things funny i love the i love humor I think you, yeah. you can convey so much information with humor. So I, I, I enjoy psycho gives me a chance to do that just to, to sort of experiment with that sort of the wickedness and evil. I find that very amusing. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. 
<laughs> no, and I do. I really do enjoy, um, you know, especially the, the ones that you sent me, you know, cause you sent me the images as well of like, uh, Superman yes. being hit and stuff, you know, I was, I was crying laughing, good, you know, like good, good. looking for them. So, well, yeah, that's the thing. So I, 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 those are all from the, from her Psychograd versus books. So what I do in that as well is that I, it's about 22 pages worth of her beating people up, but then I've got a guest art section where I get various different guest artists to actually do their own versions of Psycho. And issue three, I managed to get Liam Sharp to do me a psychogram. So, okay. uh, you know, I've got, well, that's uh, good, isn't it? Yeah. And in pre- previous ones, I've had, I've had Tom Mandrake, who's draw Spectre. He's done a, a psychogram. It was psychogram versus the Hulk. Uh, and I've got people like uh, Dave, uh, David Jones from Viz. He's did, he did one for me. Roger Language did one for me. Lou Stringer did one for me. Ryan Hughes. So I have, I have guest art sections in the back where I get, I, I basically uh, uh, con my friends into doing cartoons for me. Yeah. I think that's fair enough, I isn't think, it? <laughs> I buy enough of their comics. So yeah, so yeah. that's uh, that's that's the two psychos. So she's a very she's my she's my actual first professional cartoon character. So I, I created her I created her when Oint came out back in eighty I created her in nineteen eighty six and she was the first time I created a brand new cartoon character for a national newspaper. So um she's just and also the th- weird thing about her is is that people remember reading her. So she only appeared fifteen times in Oink. And she appeared in, in, in the annual and also the summer special. And um, people still remember her, which I, I find very, I'm very flattered that, that she, she should resonate. So, and I've met, yeah. I've met several new cartoonists uh, whose work I absolutely love, who, who read her when they were growing up. And I, I find that very pleasing as well. Oh, but yeah, yeah it's a lovely, it's lovely when it's sort of full circle, isn't it? Absolutely. And once again, it's a circle yeah. and I love circles. Yes. Yeah. Circles are amazing. They are. <laughs> they are. I like the way that yeah. they're round. That always appeals to me. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you have any other questions? Like, for, does James have any other questions? Um, no, that was the only one from James what? that he read. I know. <laughs> He's such a lazy git. The only other con- uh, question that I had was with regards to, um, have you got any interesting, like, Comic-Con stories? Or also, what is San Diego Comic-Con like? Because I remember having this conversation with you at the London Film and Comic-Con. But, yeah, I mean, okay. I can remember. But it's just interesting to sort of know what it's like. Okay, well, okay. So the, the, I've, I've got I've got loads of stories. I tell you, I tell you uh, way back in the, in the day, way back in the day when there was just one comic convention in England every year, and it was UCAC, the United okay. Kingdom Comic Art UCAC. Comic Art, yeah. Comic art. That's a really nice name, isn't it? Mm. UCAC. Yeah, UCAC. Yeah, that was great. And I, I can, I, the, the very first one I ever went to was in 1986. I had to pay to go to it, right? That was the mm-hmm. only convention I've ever paid to go to. The, the following year, I was a professional and I never paid again to go to convention, which was, which is, I'm very, I'm very pleased with that because it meant, it meant, it was very important for me to achieve that, that distinction. I wanted, I always wanted to be a professional yeah. cartoon, so I wanted to get paid for my work. Um, so, one of the one of the wonderful things happened uh, was was back in the day when I was drawing the driver. We went along to UCAC. I think it was either eighty eight or eighty nine when it was in it was in Toxic, and they we went along to the costume parade, and somebody came on stage dressed as the driver, and that was just fantastic feeling. It was like oh, oh wow, yeah. I was really chuffed with that. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't yeah. a difficult look to you just had to be big, wear a white t shirt, and have tattoos up and down your arms, but it was still it still someone went up to that. And people cheered and clapped. And I thought, oh, how... And someone was inspired by yeah. your work as well, which yeah. is the most amazing part, isn't absolutely, it? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I, I was very pleased with that one. So you wanted stories. So the other one I remember, uh, which I, I still I still laugh at this one. So I was, I was back in the day at UCAC, 
they would get all of the guests to line up and they'd go up on stage one at a time and they'd be introduced to all the, all the, all the guests. These are small conventions. They weren't big. And I can remember standing in line and in front of me was this, was this small American guy who was bald on top. He had quite a large curved nose and he had hair above his ears and he was American. And I suddenly realized that it was Will Eisner. Okay. Okay. I was like, Oh my God, it's Will Eisner. And I was instantly a fan. And I said, Oh, Mr. Eisner, I just want to tell you, your artwork is is remarkable hey thanks kid that's great oh my god it, it means so much to me i said and I, I really apologize but can i have your autograph he goes yeah sure kid whatever you want and all i had was the ucac the ucac <laughs> booklet and i opened it the first page i could and i said would you sign this and he looks and he goes but i didn't draw that i said i i don't i just i said i know but i i just want you to sign it he goes well wouldn't you mind it wouldn't you prefer me to sign my own drawing and so he turned to the page in the booklet that he drew and then he, he signed it for me. But that was, that was, I remember that. And that still makes you laugh because it was, it was out. Uh, I mean, yeah. you, you want stories, <laughs> you want stories about the conventions. I can remember mistaking uh, Steve McManus with Mike McMahon. And that was very embarrassing. So I thought I was talking to Mike McMahon, but it was Steve McManus. And we still laugh about that, which is very cute. Uh, that was great. I remember meeting Mobius at a convention and having 10 minutes, just me and Mobius. And he spoke no English and I spoke no French, but it was still wonderful. And while I was talking to him, it was being translated and he drew a picture for me in, in one of my Mobius books. And that was, I, I was near in tears. So I remember that. I mean, I've always, I love conventions. I love meeting. I mean, I'm lucky. I've made friends. I've got, I've got friends who are cartoonists. And so going to a UK convention, I get to meet people, they're friends. We meet up, we get together, we hang out. It's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, but really special stories. Uh, back in, I think it was 2018, uh, it might even be in 2019. It might have been. George Lazenby went to the London Film and Comic Con. He was the, he was one of the main guests at London, and he was going to the green room. And I kept seeing him walking past my table, and he he looked at my he looked at my banner, and it said Psychogram. And he he leaned across to one of his one of his minders, and he and he went he went. I saw him his lips. It said Psychogram, and I thought oh, okay. And so he's in the green room. So I went into the green room, and I got to talk to George Lazenby, just him and me for 20 minutes and it was incredible all we did i just listened to him talk about james bond and talk about how he got the role and all that and it was yeah. just the service nobody else just us talking about james bond and it was amazing i cannot tell you how wonderful it was and when it when it finished i left the green room and i i said well i said to him before i left i said look i've really enjoyed this i just got to tell you though and i suddenly forgot the name of his james bond film right and i said uh-huh. i said i've got to tell you your James Bond film. And he went on a magic secret service. I went, yes. I said, I, ab- <laughs> I absolutely love it. It's one of my favorites. And he said, well, you're very kind. Thank you very much. And I came out of there and I phoned my mum and I said, guess who I've just spoken to. And I was so chuffed to talk to George Lazenby. It was fantastic. So there, I, I've got loads of stories about meeting people or, and all sorts. It's been wonderful. I've, I've loved it. What was San Diego like? San Diego was the most incredible, one of the most incredible experiences of my life. And I said to you, you know, it happened in 2019, which was, I consider one of the best years of my life. I had a run, which was remarkable. I'd done, I literally in the space of two months, I did, I did, um, London film and comic con. I then flew to San Diego. I then came out from San Diego. One week later, I went to Barbados. I came back from Barbados and two weeks later, I was in New York. It was just incredible. Okay. That's insane, isn't it? It it? was, it was. But I, but San Diego, 
nothing, nothing can compare can, can prepare you for San Diego if you've never been. No. The scale of it is. I mean, like you've been to London Film and Comic Con, okay? Yeah. I I love London Film and Comic Con, okay? It's big. It's nothing. You you can you can walk from one end of San uh, 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 SDCC San Diego Comic Con, okay? You walk in the main hall, one end yeah. to the other end. It'll take you twenty minutes to walk the length of that. When that convention is up and running, it will take you 40 minutes to get from one end to other. There are so many people. That's just from one floor, okay? Everywhere, yeah. look, it is just 100,000% pure comics, okay? It, yeah. it is astonishing. And I was there as part of Titan, and we, were, we, had a, we had a booth there, and we were selling stuff. And I was selling stuff. I was doing – this is when Blade Runner 2019 launched, and so I was doing – panels i was interviewed for tv i was doing panels i was rushing here rushing there I, I i ended up doing an impromptu portfolio review for three hours standing up with a queue that never diminished with just people showing me their portfolios for three hours i couldn't work wow. out i couldn't work out why it wasn't stopping it's because somebody was tweeting that i was doing a portfolio reviews and all the artists came rushing to me ah uh, okay <laughs> we were doing we were doing 12 hour days okay we, we would get there at 8 o'clock in the morning and we wouldn't leave until 8 o'clock in the evening. We were absolutely hammered. I've got flat feet. My feet were in so much agony, I can't tell you. Every night I would crawl into bed and pass out. Just no. to chip. No, 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 listen. It was, yeah. it was fantastic. I do not regret a single solitary second, okay? I have never worked as hard as I did that. that, that. We were there for a week. We, we put together the stand. We, we put everything out. We closed the stand down. We collapsed the whole thing. But every single day, all of us, it wasn't just me. There was a whole team of us. And it was fantastic. San Diego is a beautiful city. And that convention was like, it's like if I was a Muslim, it was like going to Mecca. It was, it was just, uh. it, was, it was, it was so incredible that it's an experience I can still vividly remember. I loved it. It was, it was beyond, nothing compares to it. And then I did I did uh, New York Comic Con, and New York Comic Con is is a completely different animal. It's 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 still big. It's it's in the uh, Lincoln. Is it Lincoln? It's in this huge uh, uh, um, uh, center in. Um, I don't. It might be Lincoln. It's a huge a huge center in New York, and it's vast. It's massive. It's not as big as San Diego, but it's still massive. Yeah. And that was that was pure. That was really hard work. San Diego, there was a real sense of fun and excitement, but New York was was brutal. That was really hard work. I loved it just as much, but I enjoyed San Diego more. San Diego was just um, was fantastic. One of the great things about San Diego, we we went on our last day. We went for a boat trip across the bay, and that that was oh. that was amazing. Racing, on, yeah. But then, but then in New York on the last day, in New York, we we went round. Uh, we just went on a, on a walking tour of New York, and we we took a boat ride, uh, and that was honestly, it was just it was just amazing. It was amazing. So th those conventions, the thing thing about them is, is that um, I I I, I think I might have mentioned if I, I haven't, I'm surprised that I genuinely love comics, and so being yeah. in an environment <laughs> where where you're selling them and you're talking to people, and and and. It's just incredible. It's such a, a, it's just exhilarating. And we also had to do this thing that, that two of us had to present. Um, we had to present to all of the comic shops of America. We did, we did, a, we had to present uh, all of the Titan material. And so we did a whole routine where we, we got them singing and dancing. And that was amazing too. You know, there was, um, uh, that was just great fun. It was just that sort of stuff. There was so many, so many good things about it. And it was so hard work, but it was wonderful. Yeah. That's it. And it was, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Hard work, but it was worth it. Oh my God. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, then, yeah. Oh, my days. Just, um, 
yeah, just 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 a beautiful. Like I said, uh, best year of my one of the best years of my life, and, that, and that's the reason why San Diego and New York Comic Con. Good, and of course, meeting me at London Film and Comic Con. Of course, that's third. That's and that, that <laughs> meeting you is even even beats my thirtieth wedding anniversary. And, <laughs> and we had a hog roast for that. <laughs> no, actually, I, I'm not. I'm not a huge one. I get. I don't like parties, but I've got to say, our our wedding, our wedding anniversary. We did a karaoke, and uh, it, it was one of those sort of things that it could have gone horribly wrong. Yeah. But it was just sensational. Everybody at the end, we everybody was up and singing. All everybody that came, and it was just so much fun. It was great. That's how parties should be, isn't it? Yeah. Just having a good laugh. Good laugh and, and a and a hog roast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. <laughs> That's it. That's it. I was. I was absolutely made up yeah <laughs> well with regards to like social media and things like that uh, where can people find you and buy your comics and what well they can they can reach out i mean obviously i'm on facebook but i don't i don't when it's david leach on facebook i don't tend to interact with people but uh um you can reach me on psychograms facebook page so she's got her own facebook page uh you uh, there you'll actually find um on her Facebook things, you'll see her. You'll find her comics and the and and the and the Sakuran verses. Uh, if you want to buy them, please do. Um, everything's five pounds, and uh, post and packaging is, I think, about two pounds. It's not a lot. It's just you know an envelope and all that sort of stuff. So I'm I'm more than happy to sell anything to anybody. You can buy my autobiographical comic. There's two issues at the minute, but there will be a third out uh, this year. Uh, there's three issues of Sakuran verses. Um, so yeah, I'm always reachable there. Um, you'll even find me on Twitter if you're clever enough. <laughs> ah. I, I don't tend to hide i you know i i'm i'm i am i am there i just when it comes to my own facebook page i only I only i get sent facebook requests all the time but i only accept those from people i know i don't i don't accept um and even if, if, even if even if we've got 50 people in common it's not a good enough reason for me to um yeah i've got to, i've got to have met you and uh want to be a facebook friend basically yeah I uh, yeah, I get that. I get that because there is times when I look through all of my Facebook friends and I think should really go for the cull list. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I, because I keep thinking that, but I never get around to it. Yeah, no, no, me neither. So um other than for like the podcast and stuff, I don't really go on Facebook that much anyway. So oh. it's it's mainly our page that I kind of go on for. So, you know. I think the rest of it I don't really pay attention to. But so where are you on social media? Are you just on Twitter then? No, we're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Ah, uh-huh. and it's at Codswallet Pod for all of them. Okay, yeah. you, you, you but, don't you don't put yourself on it then? Just um, Yeah, no, I I'm on no, I'm on Facebook right, as right, a right, personal right. account. But right. yeah, the other two I used to have um, my own personal Twitter, but then. To be honest, I used to use the the podcast one so much that I thought, well, what's the point in having the other yeah, one? Absolutely. I I never used it, so I just uh, just shut that one down. Well, I think it shut down. It might still be out there. Who knows? It, no, but, weird. Yeah, the one. That, so I, I've got I've got an Instagram account. I can't close down, which is very irritating because I can't remember the password. Oh no! Can you not just change it? No, or? no. I've tried, but I, I'm on. Oh. I, I recently I I, <laughs> I used to have. In fact, it's the same one. I had I had an Instagram account. I'd never posted anything, but I had over 500 followers, but I'd never posted anything. And and I just thought, yeah. what's going on here? And I started going through my followers and it was all porn sites or, yeah. hi, I want to be your friend. I thought, oh God. So I got rid of that one. But I've got, I've recently joined Instagram. I put my photos on Instagram. So I'm there. I think that's David Each 2001, I think. And I put my photos on those. 
So if you want to check out my photos, pop them on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I think Instagram is a good platform for artists. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm beginning to see it. Uh, I've got friends who can actually make money out of it, which I find quite interesting. You know, they yeah. sell stuff. I haven't quite worked out how to do that yet. I think um, I need to get more followers. I, I've only got eighty odd followers so far. Okay, well I'll try and find you later and I'll um, follow you. Good luck, Gemma. Yeah, <laughs> well we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well thank you ever so much for taking the time to record this episode with me i really felt like i've had more of an understanding of oh, your lifestyle and things like that so yeah it's been really interesting thank, thank you very you. much i've enjoyed it too it's been nice talking to you thank you it's been lovely so in that case then i think we've been talking enough codswallop this week i have been Gemma. i've been david leach <laughs> yes he has <laughs> and it's been an absolute pleasure and go out and buy his comics already yes please